Welcome to the International Curriculum Specialist Series, where fieldwork education interviews both experts and educators on how best to improve our learning. In this episode, I sit down with mathematics educators Colin Gear and Pam Naylor, who have been instrumental in designing and writing new creative tasks in mathematics to provide authentic links to nine big ideas in the International Middle Years curriculum. Pam and Colin explain what model eliciting activities, or MEAs, are, how and when teachers should use them in the classroom, and ways to promote more rigor in the mathematics classroom. This episode is filled with great ideas, thoughtful conversation, and guidance for mathematics teachers to further connect with the IMYC within their school. There's a lot to learn, and I'm glad you're tuning in. I'm Lee Hendricks, International Curriculum Manager for the Middle Years here at Fieldwork Education, and welcome to the International Curriculum Specialist Series. Joining us today is Pam Naylor and Colin Gear. Pam has worked as a class and math teacher for over 20 years in the U.S. and at Birley International School in Trondheim, Norway. Three of those years were in IMYC and as the IMYC coordinator. She is also certified as a math education specialist and for working with students who are labeled as gifted and talented. She has an MSW in school social work and an MED in special education. Currently, Pam is working on her PhD, focusing on teacher communities of practice in the subfield of mathematics modeling. Colin has been working with the IMYC since 2014, working as a mathematics teacher and IMYC coordinator at the International School of Koje, ISK, in Korea until 2020. During his time at ISK, the school was successfully accredited for the IMYC twice, once in 2017 and then again in 2020. He also works as an associate trainer for the IMYC training in courses online, face-to-face, and blended. Colin is now starting as a curriculum coordinator for IPC and IMYC at Hope International Academy in Okinawa, Japan. I would like to warmly welcome Pam and Colin to our specialist series. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having us. Great. So I'm going to start with the first question with Colin and then follow with Pam. We like a backstory here. So we like to know where you're coming from a little bit. So what led you into education, Colin, and also into teaching mathematics? Um, there's probably twofold answers there. Growing up, my mum was a teaching assistant for children with learning needs. And so a lot of the time during the summers and things like that, you get pulled in to help <laughs> as a less than eager volunteer but to help out with all the summer programs and this and that and I always enjoyed being in the school environment and I always enjoyed helping out and as I got older like I go in and help out with some of her classes as well and I found the classroom experience very enjoyable so teaching was kind of always at the back of my mind even as I went on to university it was one of those things where I was weighing up what to go on to next I then studied electronic electrical engineering at university which comes as a quite mass heavy as a subject and as I kind of progressed through that and I realized that I wanted to pursue teaching and that's when I went into the postgraduate specializing in maths. Why I ended up taking the maths pathway is I was very fortunate growing up that I had maths teachers who made the lessons very stimulating, engaging and fun. It wasn't sort of those abstract lectures of, you know, someone writing down the method on the board and you copy it down and then you do the textbook answers. You know, I had teachers who were much more into like hands-on puzzle solving and problem solving and that kind of activity. 
and so that sort of inspired me to try and continue on with that mentality going into mathematics teaching as well. So teachers basically opened the door for you to become a teacher in the math. Yes, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, that's usually how it happens. But Pam, it's the same for you. Well, let's talk about your <laughs> educational past and going into math. My beginning roots were similar. My parents were both in education. My mom taught fourth grade and I got to spend all of my summers and extra off days with her. And my dad was a university professor. So it was kind of in the blood to do that. But what I loved about being there was how dynamic everything is in education, that there were never two days that were the same. And as I moved into student teaching and through my first years of school, that continued to be what was most fascinating. I could create a world where we could be creative and we could learn and we could be safe and do all of this exploring that we wanted to do. My entryway into math was similar. I started in history, but as I felt more confident in what was going on in math and was more aware of what the kids were thinking about, I started to find math everywhere. I started to find patterns when I was going for walks and tiles that were everywhere. And the kids and I would go for adventures and then they would start like pointing out little math ideas that were, oh, it's a Fibonacci sequence, Mrs. Naylor. Oh, it is. So. It just sort of overtook how I looked at the world and how I felt like education should be all integrated in together. It was lovely, and I'm so happy to be in math now with the kids. Well, so fortunate for you and also Colin to be enthusiastic teachers for these students to have you. It's great to hear and have math teachers with such passion. In the International Middle Years Curriculum, or IMYC, Thanks to your collaboration, we now feature a range of optional tasks that cover IMYC mathematical strands, which have been created to provide authentic links to nine big ideas. Each mathematics edition has at least four optional tasks with model eliciting activities, or MEAs. Could you explain what a model eliciting activity actually is, and where did the idea come from to include these MEAs for mathematics in the IMYC. Pam, let's start with you. Fantastic. I love model eliciting activities. <laughs> model eliciting activities are questions that are open-ended, that are presented to the students that are real life and that they can tackle in any number of ways that they see fit. It's a fabulous match for IMYC because there are so many different ideas that are going around in an IMYC unit. And we as math teachers often felt that we were left out, that there were these amazing things happening, but we couldn't quite participate. And taking a model eliciting activity that is connected to the big idea that is out there and allowing the kids to attack it from any kind of strand that we happen to be studying in the mathematics classroom is incredibly empowering and inclusive for all of the teachers, which is fantastic. Another thing that I really like about model eliciting activities and that pairs so well with IMYC is that the activities match with what the teenage brain needs at this point in their lives. They're all social by nature because they're group work. There are very clear boundaries 
that the students have, and they need to take risks intellectually, academically, socially to be successful. And everyone can be successful because of the way math eliciting activities are structured. Right. Colin, is there anything else you want to add to that, you know, with the connection with the IMYC and your collaboration? I think if we even go back to where this all began and trying to get at this part of the IMYC is conversations I've had for years working as a trainer and as a math teacher myself about how we can make sure that mathematics is more integrated into the IMYC. And one of the things that was always on my back burner list was looking at ways to create projects and activities that have clear big idea connections. So what we've hoped to do here is give math teachers a way of finally having resources on hand that makes it feel like maths is part of that learning process of the IMYC, that they do have those clear ways to engage students with the big idea and therefore hopefully in turn helping them with that making connection and making meaning brain needs that maths may have missed out on earlier without it in place. Right. So... Colin, how should mathematics teachers use the model eliciting activities, the MEAs, in the classroom effectively? I think, like anything else that's provided in terms of documentation from fieldwork, that the tasks that are there will be something that the teachers will be able to use as a resource and something they can use to generate the ideas. And depending on which kind of classes in front of them, as we know, classrooms are very dynamic environments things that could work in one school may not work in another school. There's also things like environments and departmental timing issues. And so what we've put in place is hopefully something that is both thorough enough that it could be used as is, but flexible enough that teachers can take the key parts, hopefully still have those big idea connections, hopefully still keep that ethos of the MEAs and tailor it to suit the needs of their class. So it's just like anything else you're using. It's looking at that documentation evaluating the strengths, looking at what class you have in front of you, and then using those suggested tasks to yield the best benefit out of them. Great. Pam, is there anything else of adding to the how and how to be effective? I have like four very specific things that I think will be useful for the teachers to be thinking about when using model eliciting activities. And the first one is to be very thoughtful about how you're grouping your students you need to make some decisions. Are they going to be homogeneous or heterogeneous in terms of where they are? And it really is something that is worth putting the extra energy into. Another thing that I think is really important is that teachers remember that we need to be active when the kids are doing these activities. They're complicated. And this way of thinking is unfamiliar. And we need to be certain that we are talking with the kids and interacting with them constantly to keep them on task and to make sure that they're going towards where they want to go so that they're not getting off on a tangent and they are having fun and have enough information to keep going. The third piece of advice I have is always have the resources that you want ready to go. You never know when the computers are going to die and you can't print out what you wanted or the students are supposed to research something, but the technology isn't working or they can't find it or it's taking them too long or there's a fire drill. So if you have everything ready to go, whether you use it or not, it will be really, really satisfying and you have much, much happier kids and teachers at the end. And the last thing is, Don't skimp on the time for discussion. 
because that's where our really good learning goes. When the kids reflect on what they have done and compare it and look at what the other kids have done in their classrooms, the learning deepens and they figure other ways that they could have come up with a similar idea. And that is where some really, really rich math discussions need to happen. And we need to make sure that we give time for that. Those are excellent, excellent tips for those who are wishing to start with the MAAs in the math classroom. I hope you're enjoying the International Curriculum Specialist Series. To find out the latest updates or want to share your thoughts on the series, connect with us via our socials on Twitter at FW underscore education or on Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn at Fieldwork Education. Now, back to our interview. So, Pam, when should mathematics teachers use the MEAs in conjunction with the process to facilitate learning in the IMYC? I like to use them whenever it feels good. So sometimes we'll use it at the beginning of a mathematics unit or as part of an entry point experience at the beginning of an entirely new unit. Sometimes right in the middle when you feel like maybe things have gotten a little bit rote and the kids need to remember that this is used in real life. And also at the end to sum things up if that is something as a summative assessment that works for you, then that's another place that you can use them. So I think they're incredibly flexible and you just need to figure out, as Colin said, where is this going to work for your group of students and for what you need? Colin, would you agree with that? Is there any other place when yeah, you, I mean, yeah, uh, you know, entry points are a great one if you are concerned about time as well, because if your school is the kind of one that would afford the time for a full entry point experience, then you know you've got that time to really dig into that topic. And of course, then you can follow up in class afterwards as part of reflections, journaling and conversations. And again, as Pam was saying, those important discussions. Uh, the other one, though, is there is the potential for it to work in conjunction with a good exit point. Some of the tasks are written in such a way that they naturally lend themselves to pulling in other subjects as well and working in collaboration with perhaps science and technology and history, depending on the pathways you take. And so depending on the lens and depending on the approach of the exit point, it could be perfectly natural that you can have those subjects collaborating together for an MEA style or mathematics exit point, because I don't feel like you often see maths as clear in exit points. And so <laughs> by looking at the MEAs and looking at ways that you can link it with the other subjects, there's another opportunity there as well. That's fantastic. So just recently, I had a wonderful opportunity to speak to Dr. Barbara Blackburn, who's an expert in rigor in education. And she explained that to apply rigor in the mathematics classroom, it is important to consider asking open-ended questions, connecting to real life situations, and linking to other subject areas or other strands in mathematics. All of these factors are evident in the model eliciting activity options, which we now feature in the IMYC. So let's go to Pam. In your experience, what are the ways are there to promote rigor in mathematics with students? One of the things that I think is most important is embracing a student's desire to differentiate for themselves. So what that can look like is when the kids come in at the beginning of a lesson and you have your warm up up on the board, making sure 
that there is a portion of the question that grounds the kids. So, okay, I know, I know where this is heading. I can feel where it's happening, but then also having additional challenges that are always inconsistently available so that the kids start to take risks and they start to challenge themselves and they start to recognize, oh, I can push this a little bit further. And here it is. It's for me to do. There's no pressure, but I can always take a chance and learn something a little bit different or dig a little bit deeper. And I think that that's an important way to include the students in this desire for the rigor. That's great. And Colin? Yeah, I think the key words I heard there from Pam's answer is a challenge themselves. That's what we're really looking at. I think sometimes rigor can get mistaken as, oh, answer the hardest question. That's rigor because it's the toughest one. So it must be the hardest one. Therefore, if you're not doing that, it's not rigor. But we know kind of as uh, working in any of the fieldwork curriculums that that's not really what rigor is all about. It is about making sure that the students are challenging them and having that good struggle where they can take those risks and see the success and really put themselves into that place where we have that satisfaction of working on something that's challenging for them that they achieve with and they can see that achievement as well. So yeah, I think it always goes back to looking at your class and thinking what is a good challenge for that student or that group of students and having them involved in that conversation as well. Those are great. And I'm um, looking forward to when everything is done. So you get to see also what Barbara Blackburn says about this as well. So there's a great thought. So what you've come up with rigor in the mathematics classroom. So here's just a futuristic question, if you will, Colin. In your experience, where do you see education, particularly with mathematics, heading in the next 10 years? Let's do a prediction here. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting question because it falls into some conversations I've had with parents when I was working in Korea, particularly at the moment when we're living in a day or age where data and information is everywhere. It's almost in your face constantly. I mean, right now, people look at the constant COVID graphs, you know, the rates, people are always doing these calculations to try and make sense. And that's where it sort of ties into it's using information, using mathematics to make sense of the world. And I think for a long time, mathematics teaching almost worked in abstract. It was concepts that wasn't really tangible. And even when you had, say, problem solving or word problems, they were very unrealistic problems about someone buying 100 pencils. You know, it wasn't typical human activity. And I think what people are realizing now is that when we're looking at how to use maths and how to teach maths, it's helping the students make sense of the world. And in my book, I think certainly that something like data handling, for example, should probably get more prominence in mathematics teaching. Often it's hidden away in the corner of a couple of goals and people just kind of throw it in when they do a pie chart or a bar graph. But when we look at the world we're in now, understanding data, reading the right information, knowing how to evaluate information and knowing how to evaluate information correctly is so important when it's constant and it's everywhere. And I think and I'm hopeful that the way we prepare, prepare students in the next 10 years or so will certainly help to train them up in those skills in mathematics teaching. And Pam, yeah, what would you say about the next 10 years? Where are we heading with mathematics? You know, I really love Colin's emphasis on critical thinking. Does it make sense is the biggest question that I think that we ask all of the time. I really hope that mathematics education starts trending towards project-based learning where there are enormous 
school-wide projects that integrate all of the different subjects together to create something that is tangible and relevant to the students. And there are certainly a lot of professionals who are driving that way. And I really, really hope that this more holistic approach becomes embraced by our mathematics communities. Well, I think already your work, your collaboration, I think we're chipping away at just that idea <laughs> with, with creating these activities of which students can get a hands-on approach, a relevant, real-world, applicable way of using math. So let's see where it goes. So we love takeaways, and you've given some great thoughts, some great ideas. But to sum up, what is one takeaway? And let's start with you, Pam. You would like the listeners and viewers out there to know about with your time and experience with the IMYC. One thing that working with IMYC has made abundantly clear is that we as teachers need to take risks too. And we will fail and it won't work well and the kids will laugh with us, but we will get better. We will learn more. We will model better how to be inquiry-based. <laughs> we will be better inquirers if, <laughs> if we do it ourselves. So that was my big thing that I loved was emphasized in IMYC. Uh, the risk. Yeah, that's a great takeaway. Absolutely. Colin, would you agree with the risk or would there be another takeaway? I totally agree with the risk. In fact, I've done it a few times myself over my career because I've always enjoyed any time I'm modeling. I've never been there for working through problems and discussions together. I've never been a pre-prepared example person. I've always worked through it. Occasionally, your mind slips for a second and suddenly you have a completely impossible, mathematically impossible answer. And you have to dial yourself to go back through your working. And so the kids can see the corrective process to the thinking that you went through. But I think on top of that, in terms of the IMYC, and this also ties into rigor, it's making it relevant to the learners and making it tangible to the learners. Because the more it's relevant to them and the more they can make the meaning and make connections across subjects, and the more that they can build that up, the more they're going to be engaged. And the more engagement they have with their learning, the further they'll go with their learning. And so these aren't all separate concepts. They're all things that tie together in the end. And the IMYC helps to facilitate that. And I think once you get that student engagement, which I think you get through things like the MEAs, you get a lot further in their learning as well. And you get the results that you're really hoping for in the classroom. Well, that was a lot of food for thought in the world of mathematics. And I really appreciate your time, Pam and Colin, for all your insights today. And I uh, really also appreciate your work and collaboration with the development of the MEAs for our curriculum. So thank you very much for your time. And let's hope we can work together and collaborate more for some other creative ways to bring mathematics into the classroom and beyond. That would be fantastic. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you. A big takeaway from Colin Gear and Pam Naylor's interview is the importance of embracing differentiation by providing more risk in the mathematics classroom and involving students in how rigor can be shaped and implemented in the learning process. By exploring the Modeling Eliciting Activities, MEAs, in the IMYC, teachers can find real-world, relevant tasks which challenge students' mathematical abilities and allow for rigorous expectations to be set within a supportive environment. 
How do you use the modeling eliciting activities in the IMYC? How do you promote rigor in mathematics with your students? What did you take away from this interview? We would love to hear your thoughts on our socials on Twitter at FW underscore education or Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn at Fieldwork Education. <laughs>